You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Family Matters. So, on our Family Matters feature today, I want us to discuss the impact of drug abuse on the family. Uh, Drug abuse has destroyed a lot of families. It's destroyed their livelihoods. It's left many in debt, uh, some with permanent illnesses. And and dealing with a loved one who is addicted can really take a lot. So I want us to talk about how, as a family, you can deal with a member that is addicted to drugs, right? What happens when a family has invested in helping the addict, but then they betray them, whether um, they steal money from them or maybe they relapse? Right, it can be very easy to just give up. So, what do you do in a scenario like that? Because drug addiction is is really a complex disease, right? And quitting usually takes more than just good intentions. Um, it takes strong will as well. So, as a support system, is going to be key. I want to hear what your experiences are. You can give us a call on 011-883-0702. If you prefer to send us a WhatsApp voice note, uh, you can send on 072-702-1702. Dan Wolf is a, a chief psychologist and director of the Houghton Rehab House who is in studio to guide us through this discussion. Dan, thank you so much for making time. Good morning. Pleasure. Good morning, Clement. So I, I, I mean, I'm mentioning here how this has destroyed a lot of families and and I already have messages coming from our listeners one of them says Clement once a kid is on drugs your relationship is over the chances of successful rehabilitation is basically around zero how can families deal with their loved ones who are addicted well I, I think what you you mentioned that drug addiction is a complex disease I think what uh, I would in, uh, encourage people to understand is that it's a family disease. Mm-hmm. And certainly the more dysfunctional the family is, uh, the less uh, substantial the connections are between the family members, the less likely there is for one to achieve a good prognosis. So the point uh, I'm, I'm really trying to emphasize is the family structure is very telling in terms of the likelihood of recovery. And obviously I'm, I'm uh, talking in quite a general terms mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. but certainly when uh, there is a situation where the, the identified patient is going back to a very loose structure where they're not accountable, uh, where the bonds are very thin, where the family has disintegrated to some extent, the likelihood of recovery starts to look a lot poorer. So there, I'm assuming now then that there are sort of changes um, and systems to put in place as a family when you've got someone who's just returned from rehab or someone who's working through addiction. Well, I, I think uh, that that's correct. Certainly... Uh, when people come into treatment or they start the process, uh, they often feel a tremendous amount of shame. And I'm talking about in the beginning stages mm. of this process, uh, being transparent with the family about the extent of what's played out is often a very challenging part of the process for the person because they are then, in some respects, uh, betraying the drug and connecting to the family. By doing that, the individual uh, sometimes is petrified that they're going to disappoint their family. We're talking about 
parents or siblings or spouses that have invested an enormous amount in the relationship and uh, the individual concerned uh, may uh, may have betrayed them as well on a very fundamental level. So the the family involvement that starts to unfold is often a turning point in the, in the journey of a person during their recovery process. So you've got other family me- members then who would often feel betrayed and they cut off their loved ones completely. And I wonder if that is helpful or just exacerbates the problem because sometimes you also don't want to blame the families because you don't know to what extent they were pushed sometimes there are families that say i have tried my best to assist and and this is how i'm showing my tough love to my child or to my my brother my uncle is that often the best way to deal with it for some families to just simply decide to cut ties with with those that are addicted? So my experience has been uh, that families don't generally do that as a first resort. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's certainly a very last resort. What uh, the tough love concept is often misconstrued and it's con- misconstrued uh, into this notion of you cut tires and you never see the person again until they've turned their life around. But really what it's about, it's about setting appropriate boundaries and it's about communicating to the individual concerned that this relationship cannot be unconditional because when the relationship is unconditional, then it's filled with empty promises and then we go back to uh, the, the status quo of people feeling devastated and disappointment. Uh, so there's got to be clear consequences for uh, inappropriate and negative behaviors. And that gives the addict the message that this is where we stop and this is where you begin. And in my opinion, that's how one starts facilitating a recovery process. Uh, that's really the the... the the concept of tough love mm. that I'd like people to kind of uh, get their heads around, which is perhaps a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah, like what you're saying now, that where you communicate that this is where we stop and this is where you begin. What are, uh, in your experience then, what have been some of uh, the consequences of just addiction on families i've mentioned of how some families have been destroyed some have been left in debt what kind of damage have you seen throughout the course of your work um on families as a result of addiction well uh, look uh there 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 are two sides to the coin because uh you know certainly we've uh, this is not all about hard luck stories uh but uh, certainly there have been families that have been severely uh, damaged. But the damage to the family structure starts in terms of the disintegration of relationships. And, uh, you know, you you have uh, parents who can't trust their children, children who can't trust their parents, spouses that uh, feel deeply betrayed by them, uh, by each other, and that could unfold uh, into a divorce. So, uh, you know, the breakdown of family structures should, uh, uh, could certainly have a very severe financial impact. But, uh, I think the, the more common and the more pervasive 
is is the more subtle decay of the the family relationships and the mm. family structures and uh, yeah from on a financial level you know uh very often people uh have a medical insurance and they are therefore able to afford uh, treatment and treatment centers uh in today's climate can be very effective um you know i think that the families that are absolutely destroyed by uh, by addiction have often had other very significant challenges that have uh, also impacted the family prior to the substance use because as we know this manifests in a social context and there you know drug addiction uh, uh, has um, uh, may uh, may manifest and grow in very specific social environments mm, yeah and uh, i'll be taking some calls on 0118830702 please you can start calling um your whatsapp voice notes as well on 0727021702 how have you been affected how has your family been affected by addiction how did you deal with it i'd like to hear your your experiences so then what's the first thing the family must do when they're realizing that they're dealing with a loved one that is addicted i think clement you know what we always encourage uh people who phone into houghton house mm. uh we our first message to them is you've got to have a difficult conversation you've got to be able to sit down and say to the individual concerned uh what this behavior that is presenting is clearly uh not normal and we have to have it assessed i often encourage people to not to go head to head uh with the individual concerned and to say i'm not an expert but i'm certainly not prepared to stand by and watch this unfold so i would like this situation assessed and let's get guided by people who understand how this manifests how it develops and what a suitable response is going forward and i think that uh what we're trying to emphasize here is this doesn't this does not have to be a punitive approach we're dealing with a well described condition and uh in the context of an appropriate treatment environment uh we often uh, see outstanding results and results that in fact uh can facilitate tremendous growth and prosperity in the family unit so that's the other side of the coin where one you know uh engages with families that have had positive experiences and relationships uh through the rehabilitation program uh are significantly enhanced and that's something that uh yeah i guess the less uh, the more disgruntled people are not going to be talking about but uh certainly uh you know we've seen tremendous success over the mm. last close to 30 years now yeah. you know families that have really sort of blossomed uh, during the rehabilitation process yeah uh let me go to some calls now and and whatsapp uh, messages as well clive in midrand says hi clement my nephew's addiction has completely destroyed our once stable and strong family. I don't even help him anymore for my own 
uh, sanity. That's what Clive is saying there. And this is what we were talking about earlier, Dan, about some family members who simply choose um, to cut off ties. And you said that's not normally the first point of, of consideration. It's probably that they've tried to assist, they've tried to do something, and now they're like, there's nothing that I, much I can do. Here's a voice note that's come through. Mm. Hi, Clement. Shouldn't, uh, surely two things can be true and relevant at once. Surely we can consider... Ah, all right, we'll, we'll get back to that voice note shortly. Let's take Khabotze in Mill Park. Hello, Khabotze. Um, I'm good, I'm good. What do you want to say? No, I concur with your guest. You know, this substance abuse has a major impact on families. The mm. first thing is that if a family member is addicted to these drugs, he, they pick up fights with any family member. They do steal other family members, valuables, and such a people do, are in denial. They do not admit that they do have a problem. So how can you see have a person who does not admit that mm. they have a problem. So my issue now is a hobo. I'm speaking of a talented young man. Mm. Now he's a hobo. I don't even want to see him at my home. Hence, he takes anything. He is a thief. You see, and he sells this thing at the lowest price. So now he's a hobo. I, I, you know, I, I get hurt. Mm. I get hurt. You, you know... <laughs> This thing has a million, 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 million impact on our families. This mm. substance abuse. Oh. oh, yeah, I can only imagine how difficult it is, Khawudzi, in Mill Park. Thank you so much for calling. Um, then Khawudzi mentions an issue there around people who don't admit that they have a problem. So as a family, how do you even come in and say, we need to help you when the person doesn't believe they need that help? Yeah, so I think what uh, the the complexity of what we're talking about is uh, very significant because denial uh, manifests on many levels. And so certainly if you are talking to someone uh, who is under the influence of a mind-altering substance, it's very common for them to uh, blatantly denial against the most obvious accusations that they have not been using substances. But uh, there are more opportune moments uh, where family members can come together and confront the situation. The individual may then um, admit to using substances, but at the same time, uh, demand that they need to be treated respectfully because in fact they are still functioning in the work environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, the complexity of the denial scenario, even if the person does admit to using substances, uh, it may be very challenging for, for them to acknowledge the dysfunction that is manifesting in other aspects of their life, in their relationships, in their work environment. And so uh, with some level of collateral information, uh, you know, certainly in the rehab environment, the person is confronted. And obviously, you know, if you're dealing with someone who is uh, absolutely pathological, uh, they they are very likely, uh, unlikely to take responsibility. But a lot of people 
are looking for a way out of uh, a tremendous level of torment that they've been living with for many, many years. And so may welcome the support um, uh, that that is available. But, yeah, it certainly requires concerted effort. And when families are stretched and there are pre-existing financial issues and pre-existing social issues and other children that may be having a, a broad spectrum of, of difficulties, uh, I don't, uh, you know, uh, particularly in our South African climate, mm. families uh, often don't have the resources, the emotional resources to come together. And that's why I often emphasize to, in an assessment situation, if I have uh, a patient that arrives with one or two family members, the first thing I say is we sit, are you sitting here with people who love and care about you and you cannot afford to take this for granted. That's a privilege that many people don't have. Yeah, and, and it's so important that they also realize that. Um, let's go to Lee, who's calling us from Pretoria as well. Lee, good morning. Hi, morning, Cameron. How, how are you? I'm all right, Lee. How are you doing? Okay, morning to the survey. Hmm. I want to, uh, you know, um, uh, state that, you know, people, I have personal experience with my family members. They have been to numerous rehabs. And then when they come back out of there after one or so years, they fall back into a relapse. Now, we just don't know what to do. You spend hundreds, you know, thousands of friends on these relapse, but it doesn't help eventually. I tell you, people are suffering out there, Clement. Government should get involved. Our young people are being destroyed. Mm. And there's just no hope. There's no help. Show us. Uh, you know how do how do we get help? Because the government rehabs are full. These people end up with a mental problem, and then you know we just don't, don't know where to go from here. Really. Mm. Thank yeah. you. Bye. Thank you, Lee. Um, I think what what Lee was also trying to understand then is is how people actually relapse. Mm. Um, mm. And when they're back from rehab, and and maybe this we could you 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 spoke earlier about the the you know just even the structure of the family that it's not conducive for someone who's just come back from rehab. Then yeah, you, you might as well just know that they will go back or they're going to relapse. So what are the kind of things the family needs to prepare for? Even friends, I guess. Look, when they're dealing with someone who's just come out of rehab. Clement, it's not difficult for us at, uh, at Houghton House to see almost immediately uh, people who are unlikely to make the progress mm. that we would like to see them making. A, uh, a young guy, for instance, who uh, comes from a very underprivileged environment where drugs are sold on the streets, his mother happens to be a nurse, so he has medical aid and is admitted into the treatment center. Uh, you know, I agree very much with uh, the sentiment that that's the kind of person that's going to land up coming into the treatment center, stay there for four weeks, may benefit from the environment that perhaps uh, offers them some warmth and comfort and good food and some level of understanding, 
But next year, that same individual, if they're still in the medical aid, will be in the running to uh, to utilize that benefit again. And so what are we describing here? We're talking about someone who's going back into the same environment, into the same dysfunctional uh, family setup, uh, who in many respects doesn't have a lot to live for because they haven't developed a lot as an individual. We're talking about someone who perhaps doesn't have a matric. So the journey towards independence and self fulfillment and self-actualization is very, very difficult. Uh, and, and that's, you know, what, what I often sort of, uh, reflect on is what are we trying to facilitate? We're trying to facilitate an individual developing meaningful connections and moving from a place of dysfunction and dependence towards independence. And that is something that uh, a lot of young people are very resistant to because it requires tremendously hard, it requires hard work, mm-hmm. determination, focus, encouragement. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate scenario that, uh, that is something that a lot of people, um, we're not necessarily living in a culture which appreciates the, the, the challenge of, of making that shift from adolescence towards adult life. Mm, yeah. Sure. Um, I've got so many calls coming through that, I, that I'm going to take after the latest in Eyewitness News headlines. Let's uh, play this voice note um, and then we'll get the latest in Eyewitness News. As a claimant, yeah, Godfrey from Rosettenville. The problem we have here in Rosettenville is that most people are on drugs and our kids and those kids are literally chased out of the house because as soon as uh, black parents find out that you're on drugs they literally chase you out the house there's no support at all they're not going to support you they don't care what happens to you they just want you out the house so you have disgraced them and yeah you cannot redeem yourself with black parents so that's what i see mostly here in residential that the kids are stuck in the streets and are on drugs because their parents have given up on them. So when it comes to black families, it's very difficult once you get addicted to drugs to get off drugs because now you're going to be on the streets and no one is going to support you. So you're just going to rely on drugs for the rest of your life. And that's a bit unfortunate. And that's the situation we have in Residual. Anyway, this is Godfrey from Residual. Thanks a lot. No, Godfrey, thank you so much for, for sending us a voice note. Um, um, and, and yeah, Dan did say earlier that, you know, in most, well, at least the cases that, that he's dealt with, families don't just decide, um, that they're cutting you off. Um, often the, there are things that they're going to do to try and help you, to try and help you deal with their addiction, uh, before they actually decide that that's it, that we've tried our, our level best. There are more voice notes, more calls coming through. We'll continue this. After the latest in eyewitness news headlines, it's exactly 11.30. Family Matters. All right, let's go back to our conversation this morning on our Family Matters feature. We've been talking um, since 11 o'clock about the impact of drug abuse on the family. And we've got Dan Wolf here in studio guiding us through this discussion. Let's play some of the voice notes that have been coming through. Hi, Clement. Um, I'd like to remain anonymous. I just wanted to say shout out to my brother. 
um, because we are also a family impacted and affected by drug abuse. And I just called him to listen in. I hope he is listening. And I just wanted to say to him, we are proud of him as a family because as we speak, he is just driving from um, the rehab where he agreed to uh, get help. Mm, wow. How important is that? Just also encouraging those that have taken the first step. I think it's a very refreshing call, uh, Clement, because certainly, uh, you know, we all, as a part of the human condition, we all uh, appreciate being encouraged, being acknowledged. And so a family member uh, who is prepared to remain in contact and validate the experience um, is is really wonderful and, and heartwarming. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I think the other side of the coin is the individual concerned, the person leaving treatment, mm. uh, developing the capacity to express their appreciation mm. for the support. And mm. once again, not just taking that for granted, which Absolutely. I think is what kind of solidifies the relationship. Mm. Hello, Clement. The solution is not the rehabs. The solution is to treat the cause the government has to deal with the cause, which is the origin of the drugs. Get rid of the drug dealers and their businesses and everybody who's working with them. Then we'll treat the cause and ultimately treat our children and our people. It's simple. Oh, it's a multifaceted approach, right? All of these things can exist at the same time. You can have government dealing with the you know, the drug and criminal syndicates, but part of the work that you do at rehab is try and figure out what the actual cause of this addiction um, is. Um, and do we, do we spend a lot of time on that, Dan? Um, and maybe you can tell us what kind of work goes into someone um, who is at rehab. Are you simply helping them to survive without the drugs themselves, uh, the substance that they're addicted to? Or are, is there also work in trying to link and and trace where this addiction is coming from and and what could have gotten them to to be at the stage where they are so clement uh people often uh come with a faulty belief that you have to identify the root cause now uh, obviously uh we encourage people to develop insight into themselves because without insight into yourself you can't really take responsibility and it becomes very difficult to change behavior. But uh, the, the focus of any uh, treatment program is to connect with a culture of recovery. So in the Houghton House environment, we would then be encouraging people uh, to develop a support structure that allows them to begin living in a fundamentally different way. And that, uh, what I'm trying to emphasize, involves a change in behavior. So, uh, you know, asking for the support in a direct and a respectful way that allows the individual uh, to, to evolve and to develop a fundamentally new way of being. This is not, and I just want to emphasize, uh, this is not about a brief intervention. Yeah. This is a process that uh, could potentially unfold over a year, two years, uh, where the person 
uh, starts to understand that, uh, you know, there are enormous efforts that need to be made. And treatment fails. Uh, for the main reason why, why treatment fails is people uh, underestimate the extent of the effort that needs uh, to, me, uh, to be made and the extent hmm. of the sacrifices. You know, uh, it's quite – someone may uh, sort of develop insight into themselves, yeah. but at the same time, they as an individual have to be prepared to make sacrifices hmm. and to – Act in a way that doesn't always come naturally to them. You know, mm. the the mm. human condition can be very self-serving and and selfish. Whereas the recovery process, once you've taken advantage of family, may involve paying back debts, may involve not putting yourself first, uh, may involve uh, uh, appreciating that. Time needs to be spent not only meeting your own immediate needs, but mm. uh, you may need to allow yourself to be in the service of the people around you. Yeah. So uh, this is all about kind of finding a way forward which which in many respects is fundamentally different mm. uh, to, to the way you may have been living previously. Yeah. Kaurelo, you're calling us from Soshangove. Good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm all right. Kaurelo, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much, Clement. Mm, go ahead. Yes, um, I wanted to share my experience. Yeah. Um, I lived with my son for years, but being tra- tormented by his drug, mm. drug addiction. Um, he started doing drugs, I mean, when he was in grade nine. And um, it, as a family, we suffered, you know, from his actions um, mm. due to drug addiction. Um, my mom passed away, my dad passed away, and it was only me and his younger brother. And it got worse. Um, so, you know, I just, I just wanted to, 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 to say, just adding on what your guest was talking about, you know, when he said that you, you, you do try yeah. as, as a family to give assistance where you can, but it gets worse. I mm. mean, no parent would just take their um, kids away or out of the house without helping. Mm. So, so mm. it's been it's been a very horrible journey. And but now we are grateful because he is seven months clean. Oh, and that's wonderful. Yeah, he, he doesn't do drugs anymore. Oh. But it, it was terrible and horrible. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, he's yeah. been clean for about seven months now, Kawhel. And good on you. Uh, good on you yeah. as the family for having provided that support structure. You could have given up, uh, exactly. but you guys kept on. So, yeah, thanks to you um, for being patient and, and for, for helping him out. Karen, you are calling us from Randberg. Good morning. Hi, Clement. Um, love your show. Thank you. Because I had a brother who was at House and House, and I just want to say to Dan, like an amazing, amazing facility. Mm. Uh, my brother is fortunately recovered. Well, not recovered. Um, he's, yeah. Recovering? <laughs> in recovery. In recovery, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's in recovery. Yes. But I mean, House and House is such a phenomenal facility. My brother mm. started as an outpatient. He then kind of didn't make it through as an outpatient and we put him in as an inpatient. He then did very well as an inpatient. He went into the halfway house, Mm. but the psychologists and the counselors, 
even for family members, I, as a family member, went in for once a week um, sessions, yes. a support group. And just, I, I actually, I'm so grateful to out now for the support. Oh, but that's beautiful. Even the minute, mm. like the minute we went to house and house to say that when we brought my brother there, it was undivided attention. Mm. So I mm. just really recommend if people have got, if you can, you know, make your way to house and house, it's then you guys have got an unbelievable facility. I'm so happy to hear that, Karen, and I'm so happy to hear that your brother is also in recovery. And then thanks once again for highlighting the incredible that Dan and his team are doing there at, at Houghton Rehab House. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ryan in Pretoria East, I see you. I see other calls and WhatsApp voice notes as well. We'll get to them. 702 Family Matters. It's going up to 10 minutes before 12 o'clock. Let's continue with some calls. Ryan, you're in Pretoria East. Hi. Hi, Kevin. How's it? I'm all right, man. How are you doing? Good, man. Good, man. Awesome topic. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Like I said, I can quickly give you, uh, give you a shot on my journey. Mm, um, yes. Drug user for about nine, yeah, just over nine years. Mm. Um, I can keep you talking the whole day. Very bad situation. Dodgy places. Um, safe, you know, uh, dishonesty, lost jobs, uh, sold everything that I, that I, that I own, um, lost my job a couple of times, family chased me out of the house, been through the whole scenario, up and downs, and it just doesn't stop. It's a crazy, crazy, uh, ride. You know, when you get on it and you can't get off, you cannot stop. It's as simple as that. Mm. And then in 2011, uh, I went into rehab. There was a couple of situations that caused me to went into rehab. And went in, came out, and my parents was a big influence on me uh, on that stage. And they assisted me and they helped me to get through it. Fourth of October, this coming now, will be sober 10 years. But it's been a journey and a half from bad and to where I am now. Hmm. Wow, Ryan. I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that, you know, not only that um, you've managed to make it, but you're helping the other people in the same situation. How, how difficult was it, Ryan? Maybe... For, for someone who may be listening to us now and and has yep. taken that first step of of working on the addiction on the addiction what advice do you have for them because i imagine sometimes it can really feel like you are failing sometimes you relapse and you think there's no way i can try again definitely i think you 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 nailed it on the head i think the biggest thing i okay, from my own opinion um, I, I, I made a decision, you know, and I've realized that I can't continue living, living like this. But it's easy to say I'm going to stop doing it. It's not as easy to continue doing it. Uh, the, the way we see it or in the, in the NA is, you know, to get clean is easy, to stay clean is difficult. Support structure means a lot. So if your family understands it and they're on the same page, and they give you support and help that you need. But there's also different ways of getting help, you know. Um, to make a stupid example, my, my mother took my wallet away as soon as I got out of rehab. Mm. So when I, when, I, when I go to work, she'll ask me what do I need, fuel, petrol, uh, cigarettes, or stuff like that. But she never gave me cash any time in a whole year. When I came clean first year, then I got my wallet back. You know, it sounds silly, but it's something that helped a lot. And, you know, your parents must be strict or your partner or the people who is around you, they need to be strict. Mm. And it's not going to help to dodge the situation. But from a personal point of view, for any other users out there, you know, it's, uh, it is challenging, but they need to realize the people out there will help, but they need to take the first step themselves. Yeah. As soon as, as long as they are willing to get help, 
Um, but there's also a limit. You can't keep on, you know, keep on trying and trying. You need to decide. And then if you need help, there is help out there. And it is possible. It's not impossible. Mm. Ryan, thank you for calling us, buddy. And 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 uh, well done on the work that you're doing to help other people. It's so easy for people to um, be in recovery, you know, and they've managed to, you know, get out of this dark hole and, and just to live their lives. But you have decided... I actually want to do something about it and help other people that are in the situation that I was in. So I'm so happy to hear of the work that you're doing there. Your voice notes also coming on 072-702-1702. Hola, Clemmy. Uh, it's Kabele here from Tendisam. I, I hear your topic is very uh, constructive. But the elephant in the room is, why are these drugs easily available in our communities? I think uh, the government is not doing enough. You, know. you see these houses that are selling drugs. Police go there to collect Jojo. I mean, it's so it's, it's so messed up. Cheers, man. Hi, Clement. I uh, just want to remain anonymous. I just want to find out what are they doing with the drug lords because now we're sitting with uh, addiction to our children and they do not do anything to the people that are selling these drugs. We will still have children that are lying on streets that are disowned by their parents. Thank you. Mm. And, and again, like I said earlier, it's it's got to be a multifaceted approach how you deal with the situation. Um, yes, you need the law enforcement agencies to do the actual work of destroying these syndicates. Right? Um, you need to ensure that we've got places like Houghton House that are able to assist people who are already right um, on the track of addiction and they need they need some assistance in, in pulling back. Here's a question, uh, Dan, from one of our listeners who's asking about the trust and he's saying, how do you reestablish the trust when the family, there's no trust anymore in the family because of what you have done? Um, this is someone who says um, he himself is a former addict. Um, and and he finds that the family doesn't trust him anymore, even though he's been clean for some time. So, is it going to take time? Do you sit down and and reassure the family that I am no longer there? How does it work? Well, I think uh, the attempt to reassure is something that the person probably doesn't want to do because he's done that previously. So, ah, mm. you know, the reality is that trust. Uh, the family would be stupid to trust. And they would be stupid not to trust because this is a person living under their own roof. So the focus needs to be on building trust. And that's really where the discussion starts is, uh, you know, when you commit to going out and being back at half past 10, when you come back at half past 10, people start to take you seriously. And through seemingly insignificant efforts on a regular basis, trust starts to be rebuilt within the family structure and uh, yeah that's that's really the the kind of fiber of the recovery process is changing behaviors and uh, having a, a level of sensitivity uh, that's required and an appreciation that these are people that no longer trust me and I've put them in a very very awkward situation because mm. these are the people that love and care for me the most and therefore, I need to ensure that enormous effort is made to rebuild uh, the trust and the, and the basic fiber of the, the family structure. Yeah. And what about judgment? Someone earlier um, raised an issue around 
how sometimes families, when they sit down with an addict, they come from a position of um, of judgment. So they're not coming with, we want to help. This is a problem you're in, but they're already judgmental. And, and I imagine that may influence how the next person responds. You know, when there's a level of genuine transparency and uh, uh, openness and uh, perhaps uh, a willingness to be human, uh, my experience has been uh, that people are less judgmental because they're not uh, discussing a topic mm. on an intellectual level. They're engaging with a person who is displaying a level of humility. Mm. And I think that that's really what sort of uh, uh, gradually uh, – <laughs> Dissipates the, mm. uh, the 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 judgmental attitude mm. is where, when there's a display of humility, and uh, for instance, this chap Ryan, you know, uh, mm. he was willing to hand over his wallet. Mm. It's not that his mother was begging him every day to yeah. give me your wallet. You know, he was mm. acknowledging, "I'm uh, you can't trust me. Mm. I'm and I appreciate your sincere efforts." to uh, to yeah. assist. And so when he is on his way out and he gives his wallet mm. over, he's building yeah. trust. And that's a sign of, of that willingness we were talking about yeah. earlier. Dan, thank you so much for making time. Dan Wolf, Chief Psychologist and Director of um, Houghton House.